Moses uh, of before his departure to the people of God, that God would raise up another prophet among themselves, like themselves. In fact, I want you to see it real quickly. We may have actually looked at this last Sunday, or I just might have referenced it. But turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Hold your place, put a marker. Uh, I was going to say your bulletin, but we don't have bulletins anymore. You keep, keep your somewhere, somehow, Jeremiah 1. And let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18, and verse 15, the Bible says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses, unto him ye shall hearken. Verse 18, he picks up with that same theme. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Wow, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Go back to Jeremiah 1, verses 8 and 9. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. God is telling him that he's going to be with him. And all of that, I want you to look again at the the second part of verse 8. When he says, be not afraid of their faces. He's not just giving, you know, power positive. Hey, keep a stiff upper lip. You know, just, just smile and press on, grin and bear it. No, he made a promise at the end of verse 8. He said, for I am with thee. To deliver thee. I am with thee. To deliver thee, saith the Lord. That was, no doubt, a key promise that Jeremiah would go back to time and time again. I want you to look at the word deliver. Another synonym for that, another term, would be to rescue. And the same Hebrew word that is used here is used Throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, the Exodus story, which obviously, you know, Moses was very familiar with, and and Jeremiah, no doubt, was, Moses lived it, Jeremiah definitely knew it, uh, uses this term for deliver or rescued, uh, when it talks about God delivering the people from Egypt. And this word is found in Exodus 3.8, Exodus 5.23, Exodus 6.6, Exodus 12.27, Exodus 18.4, uh, and, and 18 verses 8 through 10, found in 1 Samuel 10, 18, over and over again, just to talk about God delivering the people, His people, uh, rescuing them from Egypt. The verb is also used in other well-known narratives, like David. Remember, David was rescued from the paw of a bear or a lion, 1 Samuel seventeen thirty-seven, And it is also used throughout the Psalms, And it has a much broader meaning than just rescue physically. It has the idea, and if you're familiar with the Psalms, David cried out to God. And there were times in David's life where he needed to be rescued, didn't he? From Saul, from his enemies. Uh, That certainly he knew. 
so much of the rescue that God provided for David was really emotional support through it all. And you and I need that emotional support. It is, it is a very real support that God wants to offer us. And I want to tell you, there are times, we're going we're gonna to jump ahead in the narrative of Jeremiah tonight for just a few minutes to chapter 20. Jeremiah 20, if you want to turn there, uh, there were times when Jeremiah was in dire straits. He was pressed above measure without strength so that he despaired of life. Now I'm using the phrase, the, uh, the words that Paul used because Paul also experienced that. We'll talk about Paul later, but look at Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah, again, now by this time he's already knee-deep in ministry, ministering to a people that want nothing to do with his message because it's not a positive message. And they would rather hear something uh, that they didn't need to hear. They'd rather have affirmation of uh, you know good feelings, good tidings all around, no matter what. And Jeremiah wasn't bringing that message because God was getting ready to judge Judah. And God was sending Jeremiah really as a last-ditch effort, as it were, human perspective, to warn them, you need to flee. God is going to judge you. Uh, and, and the plan was already lined up. He was going to send Nebuchadnezzar to come in. And he ended up doing that. In fact, it's weird. But he calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. So what's wrong with that? David's his servant. Jeremiah's his servant. Nebuchadnezzar was the farthest thing from a, a believer. The farthest thing from someone that worshipped Jehovah. He was a, a wicked pagan king. And he certainly did not fear God. And there's a story where actually God had to humble him in a major way. But God called him a servant before that. And it was not in the sense that Nebuchadnezzar woke up every morning seeking the Lord. Lord, guide my steps today. Far from that. But guess what? Because of the power God promoted him, God was guiding his steps anyway. And, and he was going to use him to bring judgment on, on Judah. And that's exactly what would happen. So Jeremiah's been preaching now, and he is at a very low point. Now we're going to eventually get to Jeremiah 20 and really park at this verse, this passage. But Jeremiah had had it. You ever felt like that? He just had it. Look at verse 7. And he, he, this is a time, folks, where he really doubted his call, doubted the Lord, now, praise the Lord, folks. It was only temporary. And the Lord records this because His faith was being tested. God's going to allow our faith to be tested. Understand that. It is not an indication that God is not a good God. He is growing us. He is. Uh, James talks about that. You know, the temptation... Trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 20 beginning in verse 7. And it's kind of harsh. He's sharing his feelings here. And, and he says this, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. Wow. I'd call that a low point. How about you? 
Uh, you know, here's a man that's ministering, that loves Judah, loves the people of God, bringing a message to try to save them. He's weeping. He's, you know, this man is the genuine article. He's not just harshly, I'm just telling you like it is. No, he is with, the, he is with them, feeling it and just loving them. And he says, everyone mocks me. Verse 8, for since I spake, I cried out. Remember the weeping prophet? I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Why was Jeremiah public enemy number one? Because he was preaching a message of judgment. Now he wasn't public enemy number one. To Judah, in reality, and I said this last week, he was public friend number one. But he was treated like public enemy number one because they didn't want to hear it. So again, verse 8, For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence to spoil because the word of the Lord, he was being persecuted for the word, was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. And so he resolved. He said, that's it. He said, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. You know, that is one way for him to make his life a whole lot better. Because he was, you know, he was just people, you know, they didn't like Jeremiah. They didn't appreciate him. And probably multitudes of people said, why doesn't why he just shut his mouth? You know, that's what you're getting here. He was not well received. And I, I think if any one of us were in this situation, we'd be like, you know what? I'm not going to be, why should I do this? They don't want to hear it. And so he kind of, he resolved to do that. You ever do that? You ever like quit, but you really didn't quit? You only quit on the inside, you know. That's it. I'm done, you know, but not really. And that's what he did. Again, verse 9, I love this. I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. That's it. I'm done. And then it says, but... His word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. I couldn't keep it in. There's a man, maybe it was because he went back to this chapter and the call, how God had called him and ordained him a prophet and that God put the words in his mouth so he knew this is not my message. By the way, folks, more and more, the message of coming judgment the very fact that there is a hell is a message of reproach that is is less and less received today and people more and more people or less less and less people believe there is a hell uh, they just don't believe it and so you and i are not preaching a message that is very popular and if there is no hell, which is what people believe, then we're wasting our time. And, that, and that's what Jeremiah felt like for a few minutes. But then he went back. He's like, no, I'm not wasting my time because I know what's going to happen to these people. Judgment is coming. And I cannot. I've got, I can't keep God's word inside. Boy, we need to do that too, don't we? You ever get rebuffed? I share with you before. I always think of this first First time I went soul winning with uh, George Chambers, dear friend from high school who got saved. And, and when we went out Thursday night, he joined me one night. 
And we went to a kind of a nicer area in Chester County. And by the way, there is a definite difference in response from the houses where the people are well off and the, the areas where they're not well off. And I saw that in Grenada. When we were in Grenada, we would hand out tracts uh, every day. And the people of Grenada and all the people in this poor country would just gobble up the tracts. And, and, and what happened several times was a cruise ship would come in. And all the cruise people would come on. And we would just get, stand there and hand out tracts. And it was so clearly obvious. The people of Grenada were like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And the people coming off the cruise ships wanted nothing to do with the literature or to talk about the Lord. It's clearly different. Well, here, uh, Jeremiah was not welcomed. And now I want, you, I want you to look at verse 10. This is tragic. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 10. He said, For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting. That's an interesting phrase. All my familiars. You know what he's talking about? His friends. People he was, you know, his, these are the people that he considered friends. All his familiars, all his friends, the people that he cared about the most, watched for my halting, saying, peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. What a, what a horrible thing. Can you imagine being called to a ministry like this? No wonder why he wanted to quit. But, and this is a great thing, this is where we're going to park tonight, verse 11. But, he said, the Lord is with me. Is a mighty terrible one, and that's not in a negative way. We always, today the word terrible, you know, is usually pretty bad. It might, who knows now? Because they'll say, man, that's bad now, and, and it means it's good, so who knows. But terrible here just means magnificent. It's like, it's, it's very powerful, it's a big thing. Uh, he is with me as a mighty terrible one, therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, thou triest the righteous, and seest the reins of the heart. Let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. Praise God for that. Now he goes on and uh, laments a little bit more. This kind of goes back and forth, uh, and he finishes it up sharing the struggle that he had. But praise the Lord, verse 11, the Lord is with me, uh, and the Lord, just like the Lord told him, I, back in Jeremiah chapter 1 uh, and verse, uh, I am with thee to deliver thee. So number one, the word deliver means to rescue. All three of our points this evening, we just finished the first one, it's rescue. Um, this is the word deliver. These are all terms that describe the word deliver that would fulfill what God did in Jeremiah's life. First, God rescued him. And, and he wasn't the only one. God rescued Moses. Uh, this idea of being forsaken. In Job chapter 19, remember Job? What happened to him? In Job first, uh, chapter 19 and verse 14, he had a very ex similar experience. You know, all my familiars, watch for my halting. Job said this in Job, Job 19, 14. 
My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. You know, sometimes God will purposely take people that maybe we're relying on too much, he'll take them out of our lives, or he'll he'll allow them to disappoint us. Uh, and, And it's not a fun thing, but God will do that. I'm convinced of it, that God will make that happen if we start to get too dependent on people. And I've noticed this, the nature of ministry, and I'd really struggle with this for a while. The nature of ministry, the tyranny of the urgent, is that I, the blessing is I get to be called upon when people are in crisis. And with the, with the rise of Facebook, I've shared with you, many of you have prayed uh, for some friends of mine, people that I knew in high school that I lost touch with. Then I'd find out some of them got saved, and then i find out some of them we're in dire straits, and I've had the opportunity to go in and minister to them. And, and one person specifically that was in a big crisis passed away. But I was able to lead him to a profession of faith. And then I was able to do his funeral. Now at that time, I remember his family um, unwor- misappropriately looked at me like I was the Savior. Like, oh, you came in. You, and, and, you know, it was a great thing. And, and this has come to be a curse. Because they're like, you know what, I know that Steve Lyon, Pastor Lyon, he'll be there when I need him. And that's, this has happened over and over again. Because I've been there for people at some critical times. And then another critical time comes. And I'm not able to be there. And this happened with the one family I'm thinking of. They had another relative die and they asked if I'd do the funeral. And I, I just couldn't do it. And, and I knew that they were very disappointed. And that's happened so many times. And, and there, there's nothing I can do. And, and there's maybe, maybe there's people that are condemning me. There probably is. Uh, you know, that's the blessing and the, the kind of the curse. Um, but I'm convinced that even in my life, you know, God will allow people to be there to be a blessing. But then sometimes people won't be there. Because he wants, he wants us to go to the Lord. I'll never forget my pastor. I've been talking about him a lot. Got to bless him in front of him. Um, but I remember him telling me when we started this church. And we had that core group. We had 23 people that were going to start. And he said to me, now listen. These people may not all be here in 20 years. But it's okay. They're going to be a big blessing. But don't look to them. You've got to look directly to the Lord. Something like that. And I appreciate that. Uh, and I would encourage you. People can be a blessing. And people can be there. But also realize there might be some times where it's just going to be you and God. That's the way it was for Jeremiah. That's the way it was for Job. Yeah. Oh, you're saying, oh, wait a minute. He had three buddies that were right there with him. Were they really right there with him? Or were they right there against him? You know, I think it might have been better if they just kind of stood in the distance and said, we're, we're praying for you. You know, something like that. But there's going to be times, folks, where you and I don't have that second definition of the word uh, deliver. I will deliver you, God says. is, And this is used in the sense of to deliver, like you're going to deliver an oration or a, a speech. And the idea is to utter, to pronounce, or to speak. That's one of the definitions of deliver. And isn't that exactly what God said to Jeremiah in verse 9? Jeremiah 1, verse 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth 
And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. What a blessing. I want to remind you that Jesus gave that same promise to the disciples. And I think there's application to it today, but I want to issue a caution. So if, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 14. John 14. And again, this is what God said uh, through the promise of Moses in Deuteronomy 18. I'll put my words in your mouth. He also did it with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When God called Isaiah, remember uh, there was a coal and he put it on his mouth. And many believed that was he was going to anoint his mouth. And it happened the same way with Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, where God's words were placed in his mouth. Look at John 14 and verse 25. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now that is a promise directly referring to the disciples And I'm convinced of it, that that promise was literally fulfilled decades down the road when these men would sit down to write their Gospels. Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, it is believed, well, I won't, that's another thing, we'll talk about that sometime, but these these men, when they sat down to write, how could they remember in fact, that the liberals and those who deny the Bible will use this as an excuse that you can't trust the Bible. So many contradictions. And these guys wrote the Gospels decades after it happened. And you're trying to tell me that they wrote on the inspiration of God and they made no errors? That's exactly right. Because the Holy Spirit brought back to remembrance. Because He promised. Now you and I need to be careful that we don't claim that for ourselves like that God is going to you know what God's... In fact, here's another one that, that I've heard people use today. Mark 13, 11. And again, there's an application that God will help you when you witness. But here's what Jesus said in Mark 13, 11. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that shall you speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. You, got, you and I have to be very careful. This is, God was in a special, doing a special thing in the opening of canon for the New Testament to communicate more revelation at that time. We've talked about this recently in our Bible study hour. Um, this is what's called cessationism. It's, it's the Bible truth that God is not giving direct revelation at this time. He speaks to us through His Word. And if anyone claims to you, God is speaking to me directly, we need to be so careful in in how we say that. Now, God speaks to our heart. God speaks through the Scriptures. And it's okay to say, you know, the Lord really put this thought on my my mind. But I share with you, I share with you within the last two weeks, a friend of mine... uh, was felt when we were new young Christians, was reading his Bible, and he was convinced that God had called him to Italy. Remember me telling you that? And he was making plans to go to Italy. And he told everybody, God has called me to Italy. And then God didn't. 
<laughs> you know, and, he, and he went somewhere else. And he was used of God greatly. And he was young in the Lord like, like me back then. But when people do that, you have to say, well, wait a minute. I thought you said God was calling you to this place. Was he really speaking to you? See, that's the danger when you and I say, God has given me this word. And then it doesn't come to pass. Remember, he, that's not, he speaks through his word. And in fact, sometime during this series, I'll have to share with you the words of George Mueller. Because he was a man that sought the Lord 100%. But in his way, he had like six or seven ways of determining the will of God. And, and it had a lot to do with prayer and a lot to do with seeking the Lord. And he even put in there that he doesn't just, he, he warned about, don't just go with your feelings. You've got to sift it through the scriptures. Because we are very prone to deception when it comes to our emotions. And he was right on target. So this is a promise. And by the way, God will. You and I, we don't need to fret. We do need to study the scriptures and learn gospel you know, verses and presentation. But we don't need to fret because God helps us and God guides us uh, when we witness. That last thing, the sustainer. So we have the rescue. That's a one word of one idea of deliverance. Then the idea of utterance. God would actually give him the words and he did in Jeremiah's life. And here's the most important thing, sustainer. I will be with you. To del- I am with thee to deliver. Wow, wouldn't it be great if you and I, I mean today, now, in this era of the church age, wouldn't it be great if we had a promise like that? I mean, if we could hold on to something just as clearly as God said to Jeremiah, I'm going to be with you. Oh, wouldn't it be great if he said something like that to us? I want you to look at Matthew 28. I think Dave would just preached on it. I have yet to listen to those messages yet. Uh, I'm planning on it, but uh, I think he preached on Jer- uh, Matthew 28. But look at Matthew 28. Because folks, this is for us. Is it not? This is for us. Right now, in our day, in our age. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Wow, that just sounds like Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18, right? That God's going to put the words in the prophet's mouth. Wow, that sounds like Jeremiah, does it not? Where God says, I'm going to give you the words to speak. And now, we are challenged by Jesus directly. You go and tell them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And look at the end of verse 20. And lo, pay attention, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We do have a promise that is just as personal as Jeremiah's challenge was to him. And folks, you can take that to the bank and cash it, literally. I mean, that is your promise. That is for you specifically. What a blessing. I want you to turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. 
the sustainer. Part, God says, I will deliver you. And one of the definitions of deliver is to give, transfer, to put into another hand, in another's hand or power. And God is doing that to us. He's literally sustaining us. In John chapter 7 and verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So what's going to happen? Out of our belly will flow rivers of living water. That is God's promise. And that's going to be the supply. When you and I get the Holy Spirit of God, He he flows through us. We have a song. I love this song. Channels only. How I praise Thee, precious Savior, that Thy love laid hold of me. Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might Thy channels be. Channels only, blessed Master, but with all Thy wondrous power flowing through us, Thou canst use us every day and every hour. You know, Rome was on the cutting edge of technology when it came to, there was uh, 300 years before Jesus came on the scene, Rome began building these large aqueducts uh, throughout the entire empire. And it would bring water in to all the different places that would need it in the city uh, the bass, latrines, fountains, private households. It supported the mining operations, the milling operations, farms and gardens. And it, it moved the water through gravity alone. And by the end of, uh, th- in the 300s, so before and then 300, um, by the 3rd century AD, the, the city of Rome had 11 aqueducts sustaining a population of over a million people in what has been called a water-extravagant economy. Uh, and it just, it's just amazing that they were able to understand the importance of this. And now Jesus is talking about us having that rivers of living water are going to flow through us. And Jeremiah would experience that. I want to close by having you turn this to Second um, Timothy. Because there's another man that also had to experience that where just like Jeremiah, all his familiars left him. And uh, he was, in fact, to be a Christian in 66, 67 AD, to be a Christian leader like the Apostle Paul, uh, to be a friend of the Christian leader was extremely dangerous. You may know the story of Nero, the city of Rome burning. And, and you may realize and know that uh, Tacitus, who is a Roman historian, relates that uh, this was a time of incredible persecution against the followers of Jesus and most likely uh, Paul. Uh, what happened, the story, at least according to Tacitus historically, and it's been repeated as well, was that in one way or another, and there's various takes to this, but in some way, Nero, because uh, people were starting to look to him, and there's, there's good arguments that he may have started the fires in Rome. And it had to do with, with building his castle and, and, and all that, his home. 
but the story is that he allowed people to accuse the Christians, and then it, and then if you so if you were a Christian in that day, um, you were public you were public enemy number one, and it is most likely that Paul was accused in this grand conspiracy. In fact, some even believe uh, that Paul mentions him in the end in his epistle. Are, are you at Second Second Timothy? Let's go there, and we'll just close with this. Second Timothy, chapter four. Uh, some believe that it was Alexander that may have uh, claimed that Paul was par- partially to blame for the, the burning of Rome, because he said Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Of course, we don't know, but um, Paul said this. He said, "At my at my first answer." No man stood with me. All men forsook me. Do you see that there? What verse is it? Thank you. (laughs) Okay. At my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. So Paul's not bitter here. He's understanding that... that, uh, Because he had no friends. There was nobody there to, to defend him before the trial... And that, it, when he says my first answer, that is a legal term, and it's literally his defense that this was a trial here. Paul was put on trial, and there was nobody there. Nobody stood with him. And um, th- again, he wasn't bitter. He said, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. But then verse 17, this is just like with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 18. He, he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Rivers of living water channels only the lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the gentiles might hear and i was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever amen folks that's a promise not just for paul but for all of those who serve christ i shared um, I think it was a, a recent Wednesday. And, and if some of you remember this, it might have been on a service. I think it was on a Wednesday. I shared, it was two years ago. In fact, it was at the men's conference two years ago that uh, I saw a, a mutual pastor friend of mine who uh, is not in the ministry right now. And um, he's a man I love dearly. A man that takes a good stand. A man that has been faithful over the years and just just a good guy. And uh, and we talked two years ago, and 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 he shared with me. He said, "You know, um, he was just coming out of a very difficult time. I knew he was going through some rough waters. Uh, I had heard of it, and and I prayed for him, uh, not as faithfully as I should have. And as he shared that with me two years ago, he had tears in his eyes, because he's one of you know he's one of the he's a church that fellowships with with." Those of us that are in a fellowship in Pennsylvania, we are there for mutual support. And with tears in his eyes, he looked up at me and he said, you know, not one of my pastor friends called me. And it cut me deep. Because I, I consider him one of my friends. And I, I, I've never forgotten that for the last two years. It has eaten me up. Because I knew he was going through some hard times. Everyone's going through hard times. Sometimes you just get so overwhelmed that you, you forget your friends. And I had the opportunity this, this past 
yesterday to take him aside and say, you remember we talked last time? He said, no, what did I tell you? And I told him and I said, I just want you to know that I am, I apologize to you deeply. I said, I love you. And I wish that I was there for you. And if that ever happens again, you make sure you let me know, you know, um, because we, you know, I don't want that to happen. Now, I wasn't there. And none of his other pastor friends were there. That doesn't mean he wasn't loved. Just like when I, I couldn't come to people that I've helped before, if I can't come to them, it doesn't mean that I don't love them or that I don't want to help them. But folks, we are human. And sometimes God will, will not enable us to be there because he wants to teach each one of us that there's going to be times when it's just going to be you and the Lord. All men forsook me. No man stood with me. Praise the Lord. I know Paul was not saying that as a very bitter man. No man stood with me. Oh, men forsook me. Because if he said that, he would have just gone on and railed and railed and railed about how you can't trust people and they're always going to let you down. But instead, he, he stopped it. And he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And then he just went off on that and delivered me. And that's what Jeremiah had to do. Remember what we just read earlier? Jeremiah's like, all my familiar friends are looking for me to fall. They're waiting to trap me. But the Lord was with him. But the Lord will be with us. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us as we just want to walk with you. And we're so grateful that you don't just take care of your major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Um, Lord, we're so very grateful that you take care of us little people, and Lord, that you, all your children, all your flock are important, and all your flock have your promises, and that, um, Lord, we are able to do all things uh, through Christ which strengtheneth us. In fact, we, uh, you can do all things, that you can do exceedingly above, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It humbles us. But Lord, help us not to forget that. Help us to be channels. Help us to be channels only for your glory. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's stand and we'll close in song. All right, let's turn to hymn 615 on Jordan's stormy banks in 615. Five, six, eight? Okay.